And the next day, I just started getting phone calls like crazy. Can you come in for a trail? It's what we call in the restaurant industry an interview. Can you come in for a trail this day? And I was just like, absolutely, yes, I can. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, my God. I just said I would be in New York City in 48 hours. <laughs> like, what am I doing? So I used... Um, I had $700 left in my savings, and I'm like, cool. This wow. is what I can use to get to New York and stay out there and, you know, get around and survive, and I got to find a job when I'm out there. So I did that, and I ended up getting a job at Rouge Tomate on 60th and Madison. <laughs> Yay. Hi, friends. I'm back. feels so good to be back. That was Brienne Butler, one of the founding members of the Women's March, the largest single-day protest in U.S. history. I'm big mountain skier and adventurer, Lindsay Dyer, and it's so great to be back after the last two months have been insane. <laughs> From trekking 88 miles in five days at high elevation on the Cordillera Waiwash in Peru, straight to skiing in Chile, to Burning Man with Robot Heart and one of the most progressive instruments of sound, music, and sound frequency where... I was fortunate enough to help facilitate a breathwork and sound meditation that I'm trained in, then straight to Chicago to share my story and performance tools with some of the most progressive bankers and entrepreneurs in the world. Yeah, it's been an insane few months, and the podcast has definitely taken a backseat, but I'm back now training and preparing for the upcoming season, so you can expect consistent drops of the podcast with an insane lineup of guests. We've got over 60 interviews in the can coming for you, so prepare to be inspired. This is the Showing Up, a conversation in the flow, in person, with real unicorns I have the great privilege to sometimes come across, with the intention to inspire the unicorn in you to embrace your weird, do the thing, even if you suck at it, and fully show up for this one wild and precious life, even in these turbulent times. On January 20th, 2017, 4 million people across the country and the world marched together in protest immediately following Trump's inauguration. That rally continues today. Originally, people flocked to the streets in protest of everything from Donald Trump's administrative policies on immigration, human rights, healthcare reform, reproductive rights, the natural environment, and racial equality. The Me Too movement has also been a galvanizing force at these rallies. As you might remember, the pussy hats on grandmothers and other signage that I'd never seen until those protests. Now the focus of the movement is on its power to the polls campaign, focused on increasing voter registration, especially at midterm elections, and getting more women to run for office. Did you know that 76% of young people eligible to vote didn't? I, I can't believe it. 76% of us who talk a big game about voting just didn't show up. In the research I've done, many eligible voters claimed they would and then didn't show up. And the thing that I'm finding is we do care about making a difference, but in general, we just don't trust this current system. We see both sides misguided and fueled by greed and backed by corporations, and it scares us away and makes us feel like our votes don't matter and creates complacency. It's a huge problem, but it also shows the power that we would have if, in fact, we voted. So this is something I'm definitely inspired to talk more about. I caught up with Brianne at a blockchain event with my man in New York City earlier this summer. 
We talk about her unexpected and inspiring path from small-town girl to making it in New York City. (laughs) Following her passion of cooking healthy food as a chef, which landed her a gig with Facebook and eventually catapulted her smack dab in one of the greatest movements of our time and the evolution of that movement since. This is a longer episode, but definitely one of my favorites. Brianna's amazing and just keeps showing up. Note, this episode does have a few curses, so if you're listening with little ones, be prepared. At around 39 minutes, the F word comes out, and that's really the worst of it. I hope you enjoy one of my favorite episodes. Okay. Okay, so let's just set the space and and give people a look at what we're looking at. We're sitting here in Brooklyn. It's a beautiful day. It's it's been raining and it the sun has come out and it's gorgeous. It's afternoon. It's like the perfect temperature. It's so nice. Like we need a glass of rosé or something. And it would Actually be that would have been better. <laughs> <laughs> but instead we have filtered water. Yeah, stay hydrated. Um and you're about to you gave you gave this amazing talk at a blockchain event last night and you're you're on behalf of your nonprofit. Yes. That is now going to be able to take, is it just Bitcoin or is it all, all cryptocurrency as donations? And this yes. is, is it the first ever nonprofit that's, that's honestly, I think it's one of the first, um, I know that who is it? Greenpeace accepts crypto, uh, a few, a few other organizations, but I mean, we're a women's women's nonprofit. So I feel like having women in the space, women make up less than 2%, which is already like crazy. Right. So to push that even further and be like, hey, we're a nonprofit that helps women, is run by women, owned by women, and to be able to also be in this space and start to educate. Yeah, but it's more than that. I mean, I think that what excites me about just blockchain and cryptocurrency, all these things, I see all of the potential. And coming from an organization that is decentralized as well, um, and we're seeing two nonprofits, I talked about this last night, but we're seeing that nonprofits are moving towards this very grassroots, decentralized approach, as opposed to in the past where it was very top down. Can you talk about that? Sure. In in the way, (laughs) P.S., there's a giant... Catholic oh my god, I didn't even notice that. Across so <laughs> from us, literally, it's like oh my the god. biggest building, a skyscraper anywhere near us. And it's been crazy to wake up to this thing that chimes every hour, every 15 minutes. So, excuse the bells. And uh, wow, yeah, that's so beautiful. That was right behind me, and I didn't even notice it. Yeah, so there's that. Wow. <laughs> um, oh, okay, so so how the you're decentralized. Yes. So, oh, you're welcome. Coming <laughs> six o'clock. You should probably be at church. We will let you know oh, that you should. I don't know. I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm like, just like I might burst into flames. The only, the only. Do you ever think about that? Like the only people that are allowed to blast music is the church. Like that's so. Like why? I would like to play music at six o'clock on the dot. And I know. Get away uh, they with can it. blast music and they don't have to pay taxes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Not a that's bad a deal. That's a different topic. That's a totally different I podcast. Say, yeah. <laughs> I feel like we could talk about that for an uh, hour. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the great things about Women's March was while the original intent was just to mobilize to DC, we saw 
just such a huge outpour of women from all over the world mm -hmm. wanting to have marches. And obviously not everyone could afford to go to Washington, D.C. Not around, not just around the world, but even in America. Like, I mean, the march here in New York City was massive. Yeah, right. And to be honest, it's good that we didn't just have D.C. because D.C. literally wouldn't have been able to handle us. <laughs> like, we had over 5 million people around the world march and um, 3 million of that in the States alone. So it was actually a good thing <laughs> that people had their own marches around the world. But, yeah, I mean, the thing is, is this movement isn't owned by anybody. Mm -hmm. uh, we might have folks that are visible and leaders in it, um, founders like myself, but we know that this is not owned by anybody. This, we all own this. We all put our blood, sweat, and tears. This is a piece of all of our hearts. It's very uh, emotional, and uh, it means a lot to a, a lot of different folks, and it's a very inspiring time and really a shift we've seen from uh, January 21st, 2017, even to where we are now, the conversations that are happening. Can you Time's talk about up, that a, a little too. bit? For people who don't who, who knew maybe there was a women's march. Yes. But it represented so many different things. Can you talk about all the things that it represented to different people? Yeah, I mean, what was so humbling about this was, again, just to see that this might have been a knee-jerk reaction to Donald Trump being elected, but... <laughs> women around the world weren't marching because Donald Trump was Not sitting in our White House. Not like, they were marching, again, like, women in Japan marching for their right to education, women in Latin America, their... Uh, Gender violence is a huge problem there. We're not talking enough about that. Uh, clean water, Ethiopia, um, Antarctica, <laughs> climate change. Like the scientists down there, the women were like, we want to have a march right. because we're seeing this firsthand, what's happening. And we want to be able to uh, have a platform to talk about this. And it was just so powerful to see the solidarity um, and how this allowed women to be able to speak about their issues that were happening all locally exactly and then also to see the intersex of now all of a sudden it's like hey like the women in flint also don't have clean water so they're able to like you know understand like what women in africa might be going through and to have that parallel um you know again gender gender violence uh we had a bunch of chapters in india uh come about right after um, the attack on the girl being raped, right after New Year's, there was like all of a sudden the next day I woke up and there was like five different emails from women all over India being like, we want to have a march now. We weren't planning on it, but now we need to, we need to talk about this issue happening. So it's just, it's been so inspiring to see women really coming together and uniting. And we saw the power of that, like, all of a sudden, like the world is half women. Women are the most marginalized group. So for us all to be coming together and say, we come from different backgrounds, different religions, but we all agree on these things. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why we wrote our unity principles, because we wanted to have those pillars for folks to be able to say, you know what, I might not agree with you on this, but I do agree on this. So, hey, like, there's a space for me here. Yeah, do you want to talk about that? What are your principles? Yeah, so uh, we have unity principles. We tried to 
be really mindful when we wrote those and getting folks from all different backgrounds, people that have been activists, people uh, in the LGBT community like Janet Mock helped write them, um, political commentators like Sally Khan helped write them. Uh, it was really, really powerful, um, but we basically came up with these pillars saying we believe in workers' rights, we believe in economic justice, environmental justice, we believe in LGBTQIA rights, uh, reproductive freedom, uh, uh, civil, civil, um, civil rights. I'm sorry, I'm like blanking out. You've been through a lot. <laughs> like I'm like blanking out. Wait. I'm well, that's like, fine. Maybe yeah. we could go back to how how it all started because I think there's a lot of different stories that are tied to it. Could you talk about where where it began? Because, like you said, you're also queuing into people that have been activists for a long time, and uh, yeah, how is this different from what they've been doing, and how did right. it trans all of it? So, right when the march started the planning process. Uh, the march was started by a white woman in Hawaii. Her name's Teresa Shook. She's actually a grandmother, and so she started the march because she was like, I want to march for, for my granddaughters, mm -hmm. um, which was so powerful, and I think everybody can relate to that. Um, but then uh, other women got involved, white women, <laughs> and you know everything was so like, oh, everything's great, but then it was just like, hold up, <laughs> we have no diversity. We, there's no women of color here. It's all white women. And that's also really doing a disservice for women of color that have been in this space and have been right. marching. Right. You look at even just what happened in Baltimore, right. uh, Ferguson, like just a few years back. Look at the difference between turnout for those marches right. and turnout for these. We're saying the same exact chants. We're holding the signs. And the response is radically different, right. uh, even from the police. Um, so, so to bring uh, women in this space that have been on the front lines of activism and are also women of color was really powerful to not just include women of color but also make them front and center and say we're gonna follow your lead was really radical in a lot of ways um yeah so how did it go from an email from a white woman <laughs> to yeah to so it actually all started on facebook uh, which facebook was not built to <laughs> organize a march of this caliber we actually broke a bunch of records company-wide mm -hmm. um but, yeah, I mean, it was just crazy to watch it all sort of go viral. I mean, I, I got added to the event, like, within the first day. And I used to work at Facebook. I was their pastry chef. <laughs> so mm -hmm. under my name, it just said Brienne Facebook. And I think that everyone thought I was an engineer <laughs> because it was like, hey, your job is to create all the Facebook pages for everybody. Was that in California? Where was that? Where I was a pastry chef? No, for well, for Facebook, working for Facebook. I opened the kitchen in New York. Okay. I trained out in California, but okay. I opened the kitchen here. In yeah, New I want to get to that story too. Oh yeah, it's a good one. Um, so yeah, but anyway, I was tasked with creating all the Facebook pages for everybody to mobilize to Washington D.C. And then again, within 24 hours, having women in Switzerland, London, Australia, Canada reaching out too, and it was like, whoa, this is actually a lot bigger. Like, we gotta think bigger than 
a march in DC. Like we have the potential to like shake up the whole world. Um, but also having having women that have been in this space and their wisdom and experience, their right. guidance was also like super helpful. I think one of the reasons why Women's March was so successful was because it was a mixture of both activists that have been in this space, been doing the work, mm-hmm. been through a lot, but also women like me that I grew up in Detroit. I'm a chef. I never been politically active before. Mm-hmm. Uh, also helping to create and birth this movement. So it's this nice mixture of people that were hungry and ready to learn, newly activated, getting guidance and wisdom from women that have been in this space. But also it was great too because to have a fresh perspective of saying, hey, like, why don't we do it this way? And it's like, oh, actually, like, yeah, why not? Let's give it a try. Yeah, I think uh, a to, lot of people yeah. assumed it, maybe it was an angry feminist movement yeah. coming back. Oh, for sure. Mm. Do you want to talk about that at all? And mm. the, the difference? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, well, <laughs> it was very interesting to just hear right away the critiques. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of them coming from men. A lot of them just coming from trolls who who knows what they what they even were. Um, but people did not like the fact that we were called Women's March. It was like, why are you Women's March? Like, this is for everybody. Are men allowed? Right. Can they come? Why isn't it not called the People's March? Why isn't it the People's March? This and that. And it's like, look, women need to lead. Women are half of this world. Again, we're the most marginalized group. We need to be leading. Yeah, we need to be leading. And women. men are totally, if the you're an ally, women. like, absolutely, we need you. March with us. There's a place for you. Do you know any of those statistics? Now that it's, it's based in science, that when you empower women, especially in developing countries, everything gets better? Everything gets better. I know um, there was a statistic that I learned, it was like, if you give women an investment, like they'll take 70% of that investment and put it right back into their family and community, whereas men only do 30%. So it's like, I mean, again, studies have shown that if you invest in women, like you're investing in success. Let alone the fact that in developed worlds, the women have more money now. Right. (laughs) They are absolutely a force with their dollar. Exactly. There's Mm -hmm. power in our dollars. I made a... um, the an all-women's ski film, and uh, approximately 40% of skiers are women, but they also run 80% of the household incomes. It's them that are deciding on all of the, the household where, where the family puts their money. Uh, and I had to put that out there over and over and over yeah. to, to get a chance to actually make this film because uh, before then there was maybe one female in, in ski action sports films. And what's so cool is now... Uh, it's becoming more equal. Uh, But we had to raise all the money on Kickstarter, didn't get any support at first, and until it was a wild success. uh, What year was that? I'm just curious. Uh, Almost three years ago now. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, it kind of turned the tables on. Everyone said, oh, women's skiing's boring. Oh, that will never work. No one wants to ski women's, see women's ski. And now we have actual statistics that show actually 60% of of those that came to the show and downloaded the film were men. So it turns out 
there's actually a market for it. Wow. And uh, besides the fact that women um, own the pocketbooks right now. I was living for the Winter Olympics this year. Like when I was, especially mm-hmm. the women just dominated skiing and snowboarding. I was like, yeah, I was on was the edge really of my exciting. couch, like, hell yeah, like, let's go. This is so awesome. Mm. Yeah, I, I was with you. I love the Olympic stories. You know, I could say a lot about like, they're not the biggest things. In, as as skiers, they're they're not the biggest competitions, but to yeah. the rest of the world, they really are. And and just it the makes stories. you proud, though. It it really just makes you so proud to just watch uh, these yeah. stories of resilience the stories, and right? and just everything they worked so hard for mm-hmm. the sacrifices, and then to like see it all in that moment. It's just yeah. like so cool. Yeah. So I want to get back to your story too, uh, and how you came to be and. Your whole life, it sounds like you've been knocking on this door in a, in a different way. Yes. We all have, right? <laughs> yeah. um, in a man's world, in some cases, oh, for sure. being a chef. Yes. So tell me a bit about your story. Yeah, so, I mean, rewind a little. So I was born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, um, which, as you know, uh, that was a tough city to grow up in, um, especially economically. And my father lost his job when I was 10 years old. And my parents sat me and my sister down, and they were like, look, we can buy you an outfit for school the first day, and that's about it. Like, anything you want to do, camp or sports or music lessons, anything like that, you're basically, you got to work. And, like, that, you, you need to find a way to finance that. So at 10 years old, I mean, I started mowing lawns. I, uh, I would babysit. I ended up baking. It was one of the ways I would bring in money. I would make scones and muffins for my neighbors, the bank, whatever I could do. I started making cakes. And what's your ethnic background? My mom is from Catalonia. Uh, and then my dad, I'm not sure what he is. My sister's trying to figure it he's out right mutt. now. He's a mutt. Yeah, he's white. I mean, uh, we think we have some English background since Butler um, definitely is uh, sounds English. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, I just was always working and I always loved baking. And when I was in high school, again, I knew that if I wanted to go to college, again, that was on me. So I started researching scholarships and such, and I found a scholarship at the local community college, Macomb Community College in Michigan, and there was an opportunity to be duly enrolled. So basically what I could do was my junior and senior year of high school, half of the day, I could go to college and take classes just to get my basics out of the way and really set me up uh, for a fast track to graduate. So I ended up doing that. And, you know, again, I wasn't really a kid because in high school, like, here I am, I was working at Target, and I'm hustling all these other things. I'm going to college half the day, and I'm still in high school. Like, it was, it was insane. Wow. It was insane. Was there a reason you were so motivated? I had to be. I just knew. I was like, if I if I want the life I want, like I'm on my own. Um, what were your I, hopes and your dreams about? <laughs> I wasn't really sure. I just I wanted to. I didn't want to be in a position where I was like struggling. Um, I think it was also, you know, I know that my my grandparents were very successful. So fortunately, like my parents were able to lean on them when things were really bad, um, but I knew that 
I mean, I just knew I wasn't going to have the same opportunity. Like, it was just, it was difficult. Neither of my parents went to college. Um, I mean, to this day, my mom's working in retail at 55 years old, and it breaks my heart. And I'm just like, how are you ever going to retire? And, I, and that also motivates me to think, like, I want to be successful enough that I can take care of yeah. my mom. I can totally relate. Um, so, yeah, I guess I just... I was always, I've, I've been a dreamer, but I've also looked at like just small, like, all right, what do I need to do next? Like, what's the immediate thing? So I knew like, all right, cool. I need a car. <laughs> like I need a computer. Um, I need to go to college. So I was in this, uh, I was, it was in my last, my last semester of my senior year of high school. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to take a fun class. Like I like to bake. I saw a baking class. I'm like, yes, I'm doing that. So I went to the class, and I had no idea it was the culinary program. I thought it was a home ec, like mm. a la Martha Stewart. <laughs> I walk in there. I'm like 17 years old. I walk in there, 30-plus-year-old guys, military, out of prison, firemen, just like tough-looking guys, tattoos, like badass and I found out that the baking class was required in order to get your culinary degree. So a lot of these guys were in the culinary program, maybe not too thrilled to be in the baking class. Um, <laughs> but I was just like, whoa, this is not what I thought it was. <laughs> and right away, uh, we were making cheesecake. And I'm like, oh, I got this. Like, I make cheesecake all the time. And the, the, all of a sudden, I hear the chef was like, hey, hey you, you little girl. And I'm like, oh, that's me. So I'm the little girl. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, we use spatulas in culinary school. You're not in mommy's kitchen anymore because I was using a butter knife. And I was just like, whoa, like I'm in culinary school. Like actually, I love cooking. I love the kitchen. Like if I can do this, that would be amazing. Mm. It wouldn't even be work for me. I love it and I'm so passionate about it. So I ended up graduating the program at 20. Um, and I got a job right away at one of the busiest bakeries in uh, Detroit. It's called Pronto in Royal Oak. I worked there almost three years. I learned how to ice a cake in 30 seconds because it was so busy. I'd get in at 5 a.m. and the delivery guy came at 8 a.m. sharp and it didn't matter if I had nine cakes or 90 cakes. Like he was coming in and delivered. And that was it. So you had to just figure it out. Wow. Um, so that really taught me time management, working well under pressure, which little did I know our skills that are Great like skills. super like valuable, especially to me now. Along with getting up when you don't feel <laughs> yeah, like exactly. it. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yes, girl. Mm -hmm. um, so I did that. And then I, you know, I kind of, I hit, I hit as far as I was going to go there. Um, and even then, like, honestly, looking back, I remember having a conversation with my boss at the time. And being like, I, you know, I feel like I, I want to move up and I want to, I want to, um, you know, a promotion or something. There was an opportunity to be the sous chef at the bakery and he ended up giving it to a guy. And I asked him, like, I was like, look, I like, I like this guy. Like, I'm not saying he's not qualified, but why, I'm just curious, why didn't I get it? And he looked at me and he said, well, John has a mortgage. I'm like, oh, okay. Like, wow. here we go. Because I was like a motivated 20-year-old girl at the time, and wow. I don't need a position of that caliber. Like, I, I should be fine as just a cook. And it's like, you know, you don't know my situation. Like, right. you don't know what I'm trying to do. And 
And, and that was like a moment for me where I'm like, you know what, time to move on. Um, and I was looking in Detroit and the recession was like, we're still in the middle of it at this point. People cannot pay their mortgages, let alone buy a cake. <laughs> so I just always knew I wanted to move to New York. And you know, my family's like, oh, Chicago's easier transition, go there and then maybe move to New York when you feel like it, you feel like you're ready. And I was just because if you can make it, yeah, anywhere, right, you can make it anywhere, anywhere, but it's tough. So I I went on Craigslist and I was looking at jobs and I just there was like twelve jobs or something and I applied for all of them and I was like I just want to see and I typed in New York chef pastry chef and there was like fifty eight jobs and I'm like what am I doing This is obviously where this is where it's at. Hmm. So I applied, and the next day I just started getting phone calls like crazy. Can you come in for a trail? It's what we call in the restaurant industry an interview. Can you come in for a trail this day? And I was just like, absolutely, yes, I can. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, my God. I just said I would be in New York City in 48 hours. <laughs> like, what am I doing? So I used... Um, I had $700 left in my savings, and I'm like, cool, this wow. is what I can use to get to New York and stay out there and, you know, get around and survive, and I got to find a job when I'm out there. So I did that, and I ended up getting a job at Rouge Tomate on 60th and Madison. They're no longer there. They relocated, but um, so I ended up getting that job, which was really exciting because they were doing things, and this was 2011. They were doing the gluten-free stuff, the natural food dyes, um, using quinoa, like all, all these things I'd never seen before. And I, using fruits uh, to bring out and enhance the desserts, like using overripe bananas pureed with dates as an egg replacer and a flour replacer and making gluten-free vegan desserts making your own yogurts, like all these things. It was so cool. So that was like such a fun job. I did that um, for almost three years. But how'd you find, like, how'd you find housing and all of that once you showed up? Honestly, like, I'm also a firm believer in when you make the right decision, like everything kind of falls into place. Mm -hmm. And it did for me. Like, I ended up finding an amazing apartment in Washington Heights. I was there six months, and then I found a better spot closer to work because I was working 90 hours a week. I'm like, I need the shortest commute possible. But, I mean, both apartments, I really got fortunate, um, really fortunate. I was able to just basically sign the lease on the spot and have cash for the first dep deposit and... Just that was it. So in the dream. In yeah, York. it really. Dang. I got really fortunate. I'm actually still in that apartment now. Um, I'm not planning on leaving. So yeah, I just it was all working out. But it was like scary because you don't know anybody. No one in my family had ever done anything like that. Mm -hmm. So it was, and I know that at first I think a lot of people were expecting me to come back. Sure. And I'm like, no, I'm really not coming back. And now they're like, oh yeah, you're never, you're never coming back. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I just, I knew I had to make it happen, and I you felt did. like this was sort of my shot. So, you know, I was able to put my head down and really just pour everything into work. And I ended up uh, in 18 months making sous chef <laughs> at wow. the restaurant, and it was a Michelin star restaurant. So to have no restaurant experience, wow. Um, 
and then make a high position in such a short amount of time was really a huge, huge accomplishment. Absolutely. And I'm still really proud of that. So um, how do you go from, from that to then, like how did Facebook come into the picture? Yeah, so <laughs> I was on my way to work. I was walking down Lexington Avenue and all of a sudden I got a Facebook message and it was from Facebook. And I was like, is this for real? Is this a scam? <laughs> and I look and they're like, hey, we're opening a kitchen in New York for our New York offices and you're our first pick for a pastry chef. Can you come in Friday? Why? How? So I think that they were scouting me out before. Like Facebook knows everything, <laughs> as we know. Um, kind of scary. But it was wild because I ended up going in on that Friday. I was off, so I was like, why not? It all checked out. It was amazing. Great opportunity. And I was like, done. Like, I took the job on the spot. And then the next day, I found out the restaurant was closing and relocating. So wow. I... <laughs> Talk about being in the flow. <laughs> yeah. So it was, like, pretty wow. crazy to, like, just all of a sudden, like, that... Like everything's just shifting in a, just such a quick amount of time. Everything's just, you're on a different path. Right. And I've learned in New York, but in life too, you really have to be able to pivot and be flexible and just kind of be on your toes and be ready for whatever life, whatever curveballs life throws at you. So yeah, I ended up going to Facebook and I was there two years. It was, it was great. I met a lot of amazing friends. Did you ever figure out why they chose you? I was awesome. Because you're awesome. I was awesome. I mean, my desserts were dope. And like, <laughs> especially Do Facebook. you think they were looking for a certain, a profile of a... They definitely person? had my desserts before um, at the restaurant. But I was, I was young. I was hungry. I was creative. Mm -hmm. um, I was very creative. I still am. And I think, too, the appeal of being able to make healthy desserts was also very... Right a big thing because Progressive and people modern. are very health conscious, especially sure. when they were opening the New York office, they were recruiting a lot of folks from um, San Francisco, Menlo Park area. So it was, it was incentive too, to just be like, Hey, we're having our own in-house pastry chef. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, and I had a 100% in scratch policy. So we made everything, even sprinkles. We wow. would make our sprinkles. Like we made our own ice cream cones for the ice cream machine. We made our own toppings. Everything so from scratch. So of course scratch. they chose you. You are the best. Period. I well, I can't <laughs> take credit for all of that. I had an amazing team, Jana and Sydney, who I actually brought over from the restaurant with me, and it was just this badass like trio of girls. Like we were unstoppable. And honestly, it's crazy because. Even the um, chefs after I left are like, how did y'all do that with three people? Like, that's like a six, seven person crew. Like, I, but again, like hire women because we're awesome. We figure it out. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I was there uh, two years and then I started my own business. That had always been the goal for me. And, you know, with Facebook and other tech companies, like, it's hard because they make it very comfortable for you. And you're like, I could literally just stay here forever. But you want, you want to push yourself, too. Yeah, I've worked in one. It's amazing. You it's great. Free spin Everything's free. Everything's amazing you don't meals. To, yeah. you, you don't have to leave. You don't have to leave. But it's also like when you have goals and ambitions and you're trying to, especially if you want to have your own business, like you're kind of like, all right, 
you have to ride the high of of being connected and have access to amazing people, but then also sometimes you have to just jump off the ledge and try to spread your wings too. So um, I started my own business and it was great because I ended up having Facebook as one of my clients, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest. Wow. A lot of the tech companies knew of uh, my desserts from just coming and having lunch or dinner. So it was really easy to just have all these clients already, <laughs> which I was really fortunate. Um, but all of that, so here's like the segue into activism. <laughs> so in April of 2016, I was asked to do cookies for Hillary Clinton for mm. a fundraising event. And Eva Chen, who does the partnerships at Instagram and was just a big fan of my desserts, was like, can you, I'm doing this event with Diane von Furstenberg, can you make cookies for wow. it? And of course, wow. I remember it was one of those, it was one of those things where I know exactly where I was, what I was doing. Right. When you got it was call. almost midnight. I was, I had a batch of cookies in the oven and mm -hmm. I like called my mom because I was just so excited. And she's like, is everything okay? It's midnight. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, I'm making Aww. cookies for our first female president. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it was crazy because, you know, I went to the event and all of a sudden I just realized I had been in my own bubble. I had, I had not been paying attention politically and what was at stake with this election. I, and to be honest, I never, I mean, I had voted, but I was never really invested in, in politics. Yeah, and I think a lot of never really like actually got the importance of that. And I totally took for granted our democracy and our freedom, our rights, um, especially as women. And that event really shook me because I'm seeing people literally with tears in their eyes. Like there was a, a gay man that stood up and was like, we just got our right to vote or not to vote. We just got our right to get married. Mm -hmm. And now that could be taken away. Like we just adopted a little girl and to not be recognized as a family would be devastating, especially since we just got that. We just got a taste of that. And it also got me thinking too, like if we have a woman in the highest office, then maybe women can be taken seriously in management positions and leadership positions. Uh, I struggled with that, just climbing the ranks up in my career, especially so young, being taken seriously in a very male-dominated industry, yeah. in a very just, especially... Uh, an industry that is extremely sexist, right? A lot of harassment, and you almost just have to deal with it because yeah, that was one of my questions. It sounded like to. you weren't dealing with that; you were just getting some amazing. I, I would just yeah, and there would be times when you know you'd feel the wooden spoons be hit your ass and some derogatory comment, and you just kind of roll your eyes, say "fuck off," and then you keep cooking, mm -hmm. and having to deal with that all the time. Like, I remember there were certain people I didn't want to walk past because I knew if I walked past them, I would get a comment. Mm. What um, about being in a leadership position where you're, you're managing guys? Was that ever hard? The harassment still continued. Um, 
And w- would they take you seriously if you're their boss or, or were you their boss? I felt or? like I, yeah. I mean, I felt like I had to, I definitely felt like I had to act a way that wasn't really part of my personality mm-hmm. just to like, just to be taken seriously. Like I had to, I had to definitely turn up the masculine <laughs> side mm-hmm. um, and talk. You know, it's funny because people watch like Gordon Ramsay, like, oh, look at all that swearing and stuff. I'm like, huh, you should have heard me in the kitchen. Like mm-hmm. I would, I could have like definitely given Gordon Ramsay a run for mm-hmm. his money. And I'm not really the type of person to talk like that in real life. But that was. But a I had to. It was a front. It was like a. It was definitely my armor, mm-hmm. because I felt like I had to act that way in order for people to take me seriously and respect me, and especially in a culture where it is so male dominated. A lot of older men too, to act aggressive. Sometimes that's what you need. You need to act that way in order to be taken seriously. Sure. At least in my mind. I don't know now, now that I'm older and I've had this experience, I don't know if I would act the same way, to be honest. Um, but when you're young, you just feel like that's what you have to do. Sure. You, you don't have a choice. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just like, why do we have to do that? Like, why can't we just be respected as like, you're my manager. It has nothing to do with you're a woman or a man. If you're blue, if you're whatever, like, it doesn't matter. Like, you're my manager and you're the chef and you're here for a reason. Like, why can't that respect be there? And I know it's not just my industry. No, like, universal. so many women, I'm sure, also put that front on at work. Sure. Okay, so you're at this event. Yeah, I mean, I remember that moment, too, when all of us, we had just had this big win on the environmental side, and all, all these things had been protected, and then, and then everything was at stake for being lost. So I remember yeah. that. Yep, exactly. So then what? It was just a light went off at that. So a light went off. Um, fast forward to election day. I was invited to Javits Center. And I thought for sure, like, I was with my friend Scott. And we were like, we were all, we had champagne in the fridge. We I were know. all, we had the pins on. We're all excited. Like, the line to get into Javits was like, it was so exciting. Everyone was just cheering and happy. Like people were selling pins and shirts. Like it was, it was so surreal. Yeah. And then there was like no question. To watch it all just completely tank. <laughs> it was a moment that I remember my friend Scott looked at me and he lived near, he lives near Javits. So he looked at me and he said, do you want to finish watching this in my place? And I said, yeah, I do. And that was right when all the sand trucks started to surround Javits Center, just in case there was an attack or a bomb or something. Wow. And it was crazy. And to be honest, the rest of the night was a blur. Um, I definitely got very, very drunk. (laughs) And I I completely blacked out. And it was one of those things where you wake up and you hear the helicopters and you could hear a pin drop in New York. And you're just like, is this real? And I ended up... What were the helicopters? Helicopters just like... Keeping the peace? Uh, I, I bet there were probably news reporters. I mean, CNN and 
Fox, MSNBC, probably. I mean, I don't know. Like, I actually don't know. It could have been security for all I know, but it was like, it was just wild. And you feel like you're just in this nightmare. Um, So I was on the train and I had to get off at 42nd Street to throw up because I was so upset and maybe a little hungover too. Um, (laughs) But there was three other women doing the same thing. And we all just hugged and cried around a trash can. And, like, that was a moment for me of, all right, like, this is a pretty low moment, but what now? What are we going to do? Because I'm a chef. I'm a problem solver. Like, I can't (laughs) wallow in a dark place for too long. Mm -hmm. How am I going to pull myself out? So... I went home, and it was right after her concession speech. And it was just devastating, sobbing. Again, you could hear a pin drop in New York. People were like, 9-11, Like, the two worst days in New York City history. Like, you, it was so eerily quiet. Wow. Um, and I went on Facebook, and I saw an event. And I saw a call for a march the day after the inauguration. And it just, I just knew that was the answer. Like, without even thinking about it, I just messaged, like, I'm in, what do you need? What can I do? And like I said before, they saw I worked at Facebook and thought I was an engineer, (laughs) probably. Um, And that's just how, that's how it started. But it was... It was really inspiring because I obviously wasn't the only person that had that reaction and said, what can I do? What's so powerful about our movement was it was all everyday women at first and yeah, like so, even throughout the process. Yeah, can you talk about that? Like how do you go from all these people that want to do something and sending in emails to, to a sisterhood that has to communicate, uh, that there's probably conflicting you know, personalities or... Like, how, how do you create a movement all together that's organized? I, I just, it sounds like, yeah, sounds typical. Uh, difficult. <laughs> yeah, so this was, it was so cool because it was yoga teachers, anthropologists, fashion designers, stay-at-home moms, lawyers, all just being like, what can I do? I'm not thinking, not, not letting the, oh, I'm not good enough, I'm not qualified enough, I'm not the right person, I've never done this before. None of that mattered in that moment. Mm. It was like an all hands on deck, like it's all on fire, we got to put action. it out. What right. can we do? Like it's, you don't have time it's to like think about, about your credentials. Right. Yeah. Um, and there's power in that, as we saw, um, because... The thing is, is when you have all these women just with a common goal. Like you said, for the first time ever, maybe letting go yeah. of their own personal insecurities to say, I don't care. It's, I'm here. I'm here. What yeah, do you need? exactly. Exactly. And, but yeah, it was like, we all had that common goal and it's like, how are we going to get there? How are we going to, how are we going to actually make this happen? And it was crazy because even me personally, like I ended up helping create the logo. I never done any design work, um, helped build the website. I ended up helping make, um, a PSA that was ended up being nominated for an Emmy award. Like, wow. and you're just like, 
what? Like, I would have, I would have laughed. Like, I, I was at the Emmys. Like, I would have laughed if someone told me, like, you're gonna be at the Emmys one day. <laughs> like, for <what>? design. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> what? Like, wow. I'd be like cooking at the Emmys. Like, maybe. Um, <laughs> That's beautiful. But it was just so... That's a really great example of showing up. Showing up. But I think that it's it's a mix. Like, I still see women doing that, but I also see women now, like, I feel like we've gotten so conditioned to... We've gotten conditioned to the flames. Like, we're used to... We're like a lobster in boiling water, like... We're just kind of adjusting until it's going to be too late. And that's, a, that's a good point. There was obviously all this momentum <laughs> yeah. after Because it was that. such a knee-jerk, like, holy shit. Right, it was a reaction. But now it's like, it's still holy shit, if right. not even more holy right. shit. But it's just been so much going on in the news, and you're just like, this and that. And like it's a ball of yarn that they're just throwing at us. And it's like, look this way now, now look that way. Right. And it's just crazy and you're just over it's overwhelming especially since a lot of us are first time activists it's very easy to be overwhelmed and feel like oh my god how how are we ever going to get out of this so that's a good point did was there any change that occurred after the march like did it what impact did it have other than it, it clearly made a statement but then oh my god i mean i feel like there's countless examples of our work. I mean, first off, most obvious, how many women are running for office now? Like, that's a direct result of Women's March. Even, even one of our own from the national team, um, Emma Collum in Florida, is running for a flippable seat in her district in Fort Lauderdale. And it's like, we get so used to these states being the swing states or whatever, and it's like, why? It doesn't have to be that way. Mm -hmm. But again, we need women running for up. these. Yeah, and women running for these roles. And even just reading the stories of women being like, I didn't like any of the candidates, so I decided to run, even Love though it. I have no experience in this. Like, women making it happen. Um, that's one example I feel like, too, it's been really powerful to see other marches use our model. Uh, most recently, March for Our Lives, which uh, was so powerful to see that. And our Youth Empower chapter actually organized all of the walkouts leading up to March for Our Lives, uh, over two million students walked out. Wow. And they organized that in a month. Crazy. Like, my cousin, Elise, even organized the walkout at her school. Wow, and that was probably so much to do with watching you. And Yeah, you I mean, did. yeah. I, which is like, but again, you just don't know who you're going to touch and who you're going to inspire and impact. And especially when it's somebody close to you and literally your blood, like, it really means a lot. Um, but yeah, it's... That's one example, I think, too, just even these conversations, um, women saying, you know what, I'm not going to be silenced. <laughs> Look at what happened with Me Too and Time's sure. Up. I mean, that's also, too, we had Rose McGowan speak at our convention, and that was her first time speaking publicly after all of the things around Harvey Weinstein. Um, Asia spoke at the Women's March Rome in 2018 as well. It's just... It's been so powerful to see that also and just women realizing what happens when we put our heads together, we work together, and we're not always going to agree, going to your point earlier, like, of course, this is a lot of strong personalities, right. women that are resilient and like movers and shakers, problem solvers, so of course but, you're going to butt also heads. sensitive. Exactly. And empathetic. And, and also, too... 
it's so, it's so passionate for us and right. it's so personal. It's emotional. And literally personal for a lot of us. Yeah. Like, especially women, women that have been in the space, women that have been victims of gun violence, women that have been victims of harassment or their communities are literally being torn apart. Like, they're literally they're literally worried about if they're going to survive. Their moms being like, I might get deported. I mean, it's all so personal for so many of us. But again, women tend to so just like, absorb that and just be like, I got to make it happen. I, I can't, I have to let it all just roll off me and I have no choice but to wake up every day and fight as hard as I can. Right, but how do you get things done? Like you said, when things are so emotional and people probably have a vision in their head about the way it should be, and someone on the other side says, well, no, it should be about this. And, and everyone, they care, like you said, but they're maybe come from different spectrums and communication. You know, when it comes down to it as a team, how do you organize a revolution? Because, uh, like you said, be, being that it is so emotional, um, in working together and maybe yeah. giving up your own, you know, need to feel heard or whatnot for something different. Does that make sense? Yeah. So I have a nonprofit, right? Yeah. And And we do so many things by committee, um, but it takes so long to get things done. Um, you've got to give everyone their say. And uh, and so we have so many incredible volunteers and everyone has an opinion and you want to give everyone a voice, you know, and so often you just can't make everyone happy. So I'm right. just wondering if you guys have encountered that and, and how you move forward with what you're going to do, how you're going to do it, who's the lead, you know, whose feelings get hurt. How do you, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, I think that it's, first of all, recognizing you're never going to agree and that's okay. And to have those difficult conversations, lean into them. Um, but I think that that's another important model of uh, decentralized networks and grassroots movements. You do listen to the people. You try to weigh in and listen, be able to adapt, be able to admit when you mess up and say, whew, that was a mistake. Like so many times we would post something, messaging or whatever, and we're like, cool, this is awesome, post to our million plus people. And then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, not right, cool, right. don't like that, that this is rubbing button. me the wrong way. Um, we really dealt like, we really dealt with this, um, particularly in the disability community, which again showed that, wow, we have a lot of work to do. Mm -hmm. even, even the women that have been in the activism space for so many years were like, wow, I'm learning mm -hmm. right now about this. Um, I think that's another great example of Women's March. Like now I've noticed when I go to marches and protests, I always see ASL interpreters. Like it's very accessible for the most part. And I think that that's another conversation we sparked because we made that a really big priority for us to make sure we were inclusive of everybody, but also the disability community because there's so many times just you don't even think about it. Yeah, and now I find point. myself even just walking around New York and I think, oh my God, what if I had a wheelchair right now? Right. How would I even, how would I even get around? Um, but yeah, just even language around that. Saying even the language we, around women. Yeah. Like there's, there's something new coming out every day that says, oh, you can't use ladies anymore. And this is what, you know. Right. Uh, it's things we're learning and, and I have a nonprofit for women. <laughs> so. Well, and also too, like another like kind of controversial thing that I still get asked about sometimes was the pink pussy hats. Like a lot of that became a symbol for a lot of women of 
like, again, a very personal thing sure. for older women, women that couldn't go to the march, for them to be able to knit that and say, this is my contribution. But at the same time, like, it was also, like, okay, like, not all women right. are pussies and not all pussies are pink. Like, <laughs> let's talk about that. Wow. Um, wow. And right. you, don't, you don't even think about that. Right, right. And there's, a, again, I think that there's a big educational part. A lot of it's just conversations. Um, and a lot of it too is being open, being willing to change, listening. It's so important. And just connecting with folks on a human level, even just putting your biases aside, putting your differences aside, and just honestly listening and trying to really meet somebody where they're at and say, you know what, maybe I have always done it this way. Maybe I thought that statement was amazing, but you know what? This is more important, and I'm willing to. Unity. I'm willing to, yeah, Unity because that's more important. important, and that's why, again, when you have things like our Unity principles, those pillars, that just constant message of ladies, like we need to get together and we need to stay united. Can you talk? We about can't that? afford Are there that. Any downfalls that you've you've found? In working, are, are most of the people all women that you're working with? Are there men and women on your board? From what I've seen, it's uh, it's mostly women. I'm, there's someone named Bob, but it's a female. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's all it's all women on our board. Um, we do have a few men in the space, um, but again, like I think that that's a great example. Like most people don't even know they're there because they're they're allies. Right. They know how to take a back seat. And again, let the women lead. Mm. We even had um, um, our the guy that did our all of our tech stuff for the march, Sam Frank. Um, he ended up bringing his sister on, who also worked at his company, I think. Um, and he was like, you know what? I'm gonna take a seat back and let her lead this wow. as like the lead of the tech for the march. And I'm gonna just be a support because she needs to this is about women and I want to yeah, support Thanks for her. that example because I think that brings up a really good point is that this isn't anti-man in any, no, in any no, way. No, Do you no, have no, any no. stories about that where um, where it was like the men got behind it uh, and any stories? Yeah, I mean I think, well Sam's a great example yeah. of somebody that got involved in yeah. this space. Um, we also have Ted Jackson who um, is just an amazing person, and he's very politically minded, did a lot for Hillary, um, and he he came and helped us as well. He's still helping us right now with our Power to the Polls campaign where we're talking about um, getting people to the polls for midterms. He's helping organize that. So, so that's is that your main strategy now, is getting people activated to vote? Um, I mean, it's part of our strategy. Yeah, what is, moving forward, what is, what is the focus? I mean, the big thing is, is how can we continue to educate? How can we continue to unite and empower? And even, like, organize the organizers, you know? Because... What do you mean by education in this capacity? So many of the people that marched, marched for the first time. Women's March was their first march, so, mine included. So educate about being an activist or educate about the, the, the issues... I mean, it's kind of a combination. I still get people ask me, like, how do I be an yeah. activist? Or how do I start a march? Or how do I start a revolution? And those are all, like, very, like, loaded questions. Sure. But a lot of it is just, like, what are you doing now? Because if you're not 
creating change even just in your own circle. If you're not talking to your family, your racist uncle sure. at Thanksgiving or leaning into a hard conversation with the coworker that's always making derogatory, homophobic comments, like that's where you need to start because that's your community, right? Don't think like, oh, I'm going to make world change if you're not even having those conversations in your own circle. Do you have um, any strategies for that? Because I think a lot of people know that conversation at Thanksgiving and, and that person is very, uh, very hard-minded, let's say. Um, and yes. I think as women, uh, generally, I'm making a generalization, but we, we're pleasers and we don't really like to rock the boat and we don't really like to, uh, especially if we know that we're not going to change someone. Do you have advice for, for how we start to have those conversations, about, especially because, you know, they might be in the workplace where, where we might feel compromised in some, in some capacity for our job. Does that make sense? Like, yeah. do you guys have strategies around that where you can start to have those difficult conversations? Yeah. I mean, I think one, one thing is we say often in the space is suspend judgment, um, which can be really hard, mm -hmm. especially if you have an experience with the particular person. Um, I think that the next, the next piece is to not be on the offense so much, um, really just trying to have a conversation. Like, why do you feel this way? Oftentimes, so listening, listening like. but even when you humanize it too, like when, when you hear people like, yeah, like deport them, they're taking our jobs, this and that, whatever, like close the borders. But then you're like, you know, your bodega. <laughs> owner, like, where you get your egg and cheese sandwich every day, like, he's undocumented. Mm -hmm. Your right. dentist. Like, bring it close to home. Your dentist, like, his daughter, like, he would be separated from his family if that was passed, or what, whatever it is. I mean, it's, the thing is, is America's made of immigrants. Mm -hmm. America's very diverse. So, I mean, and that's just one issue, one example, but you know, in, in terms of other things, I think that I think just trying to bring examples, storytelling is really helpful. Um, trying to trying to just listen and not be so like aggressive. I mean, it's it's hard because even on Facebook, like to be honest, I have hardly been looking at it because lately I've just seen so much anger, mm -hmm. especially women I've friended like from the march people I never even met like mm -hmm. I'm friends with them there's just like these even even when I to be honest I even get upset I've been getting upset lately when I see people like ripping apart um Kellyanne Conway or Sarah Huckabee Sanders I'm like look rip them apart on what they're doing like their work they're lying like all these things like yes go after that because it's not right but don't attack their looks. Don't say that they're ugly or they're whatever, like these memes of look at what's happened in the past, like just ripping up. Because it's like, look, as women, I don't have to like what you're doing. And I can definitely voice my opinion on that. But don't attack somebody for their physical appearance or take joy in somebody's clear, like very obvious, like stress or pain. Like I feel like that's just a very dangerous place to go down and it's not going to it's not going to fix our current situation it's not going to unite it's dividing um well that's another another brings up another good point yeah. is how do you know where to even get the truth 
I, uh, I feel like I've, I've, I've tried to become more active. And then I realize, well, where am I getting my information? And yeah. what's at stake for them to, to pump that out to me? Uh, and I have taken less of a, of a voice in things because I realize I just feel like I, I, I need to learn so much more before I go, you know, pushing an agenda that I, I haven't totally fact checked where I got it. Does that make sense? And, and that it's be, knowing that it's being fed to me because of Facebook algorithms or right, other right. algorithms. So, uh, yeah, how do you guys know that you're, where do you guys get your information that you, that you push out? I mean, I'm not on the communications team, right, so I can't department. answer yeah. that. But for me personally... I think that's a good point. You, you get part of a team. Part and, of our team, yeah. And you yeah. pick what you're good at and how you can Yeah, contribute. exactly. Like, I'm definitely not on social media making the posts, and I don't know how our team does that because they're amazing. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I actually just stopped watching the news. It's too much. Um, I, I, I have been listening to international news and reading international news, which... For me, I really like because... Like the BBC? Like, yeah, I'm mm -hmm. a big fan of BBC yeah, International. Also, they treated me really well um, just <laughs> with interviews and such for the march. So I have a good relationship with them. Um, but I really like them because I like that they talk about what's happening around the world. Because, again, like I feel like for me, this, this march really opened my eyes to what women around the world are dealing with. And I care about that, and we should care. And you look at even what's happening right now in Venezuela, don't be fooled. That could be us in 10 years. Right. Yeah, can you talk about that for people who might not know? Yeah, so basically, like, the economy there, the government was super corrupt, and who controls the economy? The government. So right now, women that might have, like, seven years' worth of savings now have, like, 100 U.S. dollars in their right. bank account, like... It's, it's absolutely crazy. That's why you're seeing, you know, these women and kids, men, whatever, like, literally, like, raiding grocery stores, like, trying to get food. Like, it's, it's chaos. And even just following um, the, the protests that have happening, been happening there, like, there are women leading that. And it's, it's actually just crazy. Like, I, there's this one woman, I, I can't think of her name, but I follow her on Instagram, and, like, you literally see her with like empty milk jugs filled with sand that she uses to lift weights just to get physically strong because she's literally like leading protests and like like pushing tear gas out of the way like rubber bullets like throwing them back like wow, we need it's to know like who it's she like is. yeah I'll find out for <laughs> for you um but it's just like oh my god like these women are literally fighting for their lives mm -hmm. right now. And that's why I, the danger of complacency is so scary to me because if we aren't careful, like, it's going to be too late. But the trouble is that so many of us face, like, well, you could lose what you have, right? We're comfortable. We're comfortable yes. enough yes. not to really right. put it all on the line. Well, and I think about it, <laughs> and honestly, I don't know how many people are going to be listening to this, but we were even talking about this last night, like, Honestly, we should be marching like every single day until this guy's out of office, mm -hmm. until we can actually get some answers, shut this corruption down. Like it should not be a once a year thing. Like mm -hmm. we should be hitting the streets 
every day. Like it takes constant pressure and consistency. But again, we need uni- we need to unite on these things. We need to say like, hey, we might not all agree on every micro issue, but huh, we can agree on this. Now let's do something about it. Sure. Let's not just tweet about it or like put the rage on a Facebook status and then wait and see how many people like it and share it. Like that doesn't work. That's not effective. That is a good point. Yeah. So it's... Yeah, it's just crazy, but I so feel what like is effective. I mean, again, I think sometimes it's a combination of it's great we have social media and tools that we're able to have a huge reach, but a lot of it is like old school in a sense that you really do need to just show up sometimes. Right. Um, there's power in uh, even just how we spend our money as women. Like we we helped organize the. Um, uh, Day Without a Woman, which was March 8th of 2017, uh, where we had a strike and we said, look, like, women aren't going to spend money, don't go to work. If you have to buy something, buy from a local business or a women-owned business, a person of color-owned business. Like, I mean, that alone, even if we talked about, like, how can we talk about taking our money out of corporations that are supporting folks? And that that actually... That has happened. I mean, you're seeing even just recently, again, with all the NRA stuff, you're seeing corporations that have always supported the NRA dropping right. and saying, oh, nope, we're taking our money out of this. So it is effective. Like, that pressure is effective. Um, and, and not just talking about it and talking about your anger and frustration, but actually channeling that into action, even if it's small. Like, I think that that's another thing. A lot of people think, oh, you know, if I have a march and only like 10 people show up, then it's not a success. Like, I, I want to wait until it's like historic and huge and this and that. And it's like, you can have something historic with 10 people. I mean, you have to think about the bigger goal. The march is supposed to be a distraction for what's really happening behind the scenes. Whether, I shouldn't say distraction, but it's Representation. Yes. Like, if you're trying to change policy, Mm -hmm. you can change policy just by writing a letter and, you know, saying, why is it this way or Mm -hmm. whatever. Requesting, trying to get a meeting with your city council woman or man, whatever. Um, you don't need a march for that. I mean, you can certainly try to have a rally and talk about the issues, maybe invite them there, invite their um, press secretary or whatever to talk about this, go Facebook Live and talk about these issues to have a bigger reach. Um, but sometimes it is, it's really that simple. Just even having a meeting, writing a letter. Um, you know, you don't need to have some five million person march for local things. And I think that if we all just, cared about what was happening on a local level, that's going to add up into larger, larger uh, impact and effect on a bigger scale. Yeah, that's great advice. So talk more about where are we now and where we're going. So for us at Women's March, again, we just see an opportunity for us to really be an umbrella and continue to bring together different folks of different backgrounds, religions, communities, organizations, nonprofits that might not have ever worked together before. And it was cool because now you're seeing like folks that maybe have been at every single march for climate change. Now they're like, oh, wait, actually, I should, I should march for racial injustice because it's all tied together. It all intersects. So 
continuing to talk about that. Um, also, we have a lot of first-time activists in our space, myself included, to continue to support them and say, hey, we know you're feeling overwhelmed. Like, we are too, but like, let's try to figure this out. Right now, we're doing something called Power to the Polls, where we're going around to uh, our different chapters, particularly in red states, working with them, doing on-the-ground building, uh, trainings, rallies, uh, door-knocking, uh, workshops, just to try to, again, reach as many people, build partnerships on a local level, and just try to create this web of, like, we're all here, and hopefully we can activate all of this if we need to, or continue to have smaller activations around the country at all times. It's going to lead to something bigger. Sure. Can you talk a little bit about fundraising? Like, obviously, we were kind of brought together by this thing called blockchain, and that's one new avenue of fundraising. But uh, any other suggestions or how you guys have found uh, your best options for fundraising? Yeah, I mean, to be, like, completely honest and very vulnerable right now, like, we're really struggling with fundraising because a lot of people only want to give when we're having a big, flashy event. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, is... Yes, the big flashy event's great, and it is impactful, but there's also day-to-day -day operations Absolutely. that need to happen. How many employees do you guys have? Oh, my God. What do we have? Seven oh, full-time? Oh, wow, that's great. That's great. Yeah, I mean, it's, but I mean for what for we're doing, though. It's massive. Um, yeah, it's yeah. not a lot. Right. Um, it's not a lot. So, yeah, to even just be able to uh, grow our team, mm -hmm. um, but again, that takes money. It takes mm -hmm. money to employ folks. Mm -hmm. And then also, too, like, we want to be able to take care of our people. Like, sure. we're talking about equal pay. And, you know, a lot of these women, like, are mothers and or they're on their own, like me. Like, it takes money to survive, right? So to be able to say, like, yeah, we want to offer insurance and benefits and things like that. But all of that costs money. Yeah. And even to be able to, just, again, do the on-the-ground building, like, do the face-to-face. -face. We have chapters all around the world to be able to visit them and say, we're here. Like, you don't have to just talk to me on a screen. Like, I'm going to actually meet you in person, see your community, meet, meet the people you're talking to, working with. But plane tickets cost money. Hotels cost money. Car rentals cost money. Yeah. So, I mean, we do have um, options on our social media to uh, donate. We'll send newsletters here and there. Uh, we just sent one for Mother's Day asking people to donate. And then we also on our website, we have an option to donate. But, awesome. you know, right now, um, I've been exploring and how we met, uh, just the opportunities with blockchain technology and the cryptocurrency space. And it's really exciting because, I, I again, I see this being a solution for a lot of problems women are dealing with because a lot of the problems we're dealing with go back to economics. Absolutely. It goes back to the fact that maybe I do want to run for office like Emma right now. Emma knocks on doors every Saturday, asks people to donate to her constantly, but Fort Lauderdale is only so big and it costs a lot of money mm -hmm. to run for office. And so Emma needs more people donating to her besides folks in Fort Lauderdale and her friends and family and people she went to college with. Like, it... it other people need to be invested in those local elections as well. Um, it costs money to leave a toxic relationship, an abusive relationship. Right. It costs money to leave a, a job that you're not, you're not passionate about. Empowerment costs yeah, money. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. All that costs money. So, but I feel like if women, uh, if women actually had the ability to self-fund, like, 
things that they are passionate about or things that they want to change, like, why do we need other people creating organizations that are going to provide these solutions? Like, women are already making these solutions. Like, we should be able to self-fund them. And if we're economically empowered, if women have economic equality, then we can talk about all other issues, right? Yeah. Everything, if we want to talk about poverty, if we want to talk about, I mean, whatever. Like, I think Insecurity. that a lot of it ties back to economic liberation for women. Absolutely. Well, so I have a, a, a question I didn't really prepare you for, but okay. as, as an empowered woman, as uh, it sounds like you've been really, really focused your whole career and about career on making it on your own. Where does love fit in, you know? And have you ever come at the crossroads of like, I really want this relationship or, or a relationship is important to me and it's also in direct competition with, with like you said, you worked 60 to 80 hour work weeks um, yeah. initially. So how, how, I don't know your history at all, but I'm how, like, you see the big smile. I have a big smile on my face right now. Um, so I'm actually like, this is like, I guess my first time talking about it publicly. Um, but I've been so blessed because I met somebody He's so great. <laughs> I'm like she literally like I'm literally just so happy. He makes me so happy. Um and he's in the um he's in the social impact space as well. Oh, wow. And so you know, it was one of those things where I wasn't expecting meeting anybody. I kind of told myself to be honest. I was like, I'm not even think about relationships right now. Like I'm doing way too much. Like I I got to just work on me and like trying to save the world. Like the last thing I need yeah. right now is some guy that's going to like stress me out or like not text me back or like waste my time. Like I just, I can't deal. And um, I actually met him at our convention in Detroit, which was so funny because he lives home. in New York. But like, it was just so weird that I met him in Detroit at our convention, like literally at like a protest. Mm -hmm. um, and when was that? In October, yeah. And we're still together. So, awesome. but he comes from a very... Um, a very political family, uh, a lot of just history there, and he's very, always been very active, and it's so nice to be able to have somebody to lean on, and to he have somebody to be able to, things. yes, yeah. to talk about things, and even just having him just talk about, like, hey, you mentioned this, but, like, that's kind of, like, you might want to think about rephrasing that because it could be a little offensive. It could be taken the wrong way. Or even like, I know you. I know you don't mean that, but it's coming across this way. So you might want to think about that. Mm -hmm. In a lot of ways, I mean, it's cool because we're both Leos, so we're both like <laughs> very... And I always thought if two Leos got together, like the world would like end or something. <laughs> It'd be like too much. Um, but it's good because we're both really passionate um, especially when it comes to social impact, like. But I, I'm assuming that you you have you have to make time for your career. Yes. And I'm assuming that this stuff, that all all of the social impact stuff, you're not getting paid for. Or or can you make a little bit of a living there too? Well, I mean, I'm employed by Women's March. Oh, so awesome. Yeah. Okay, I wasn't sure. Yeah, I, I'm I, one of the I'm one of the employees. So okay, it's great so it's to full have time that. for you. Yes. Oh, that's so awesome. So it's great to have that. Okay, so so. How do you make time though for a relationship also? And and has there been any any instances where you had to choose? Um it's hard when uh I travel a lot mm -hmm. and he travels too um but 
my thing is, of course, I'm a chef, so food. Like, we got to eat dinner at some point, right? Mm -hmm. So it's great because he'll come over and we'll cook together. And when we cook, we talk about That's your what's going together. on, what's happening, and then we'll sit down and eat. Um, and that's like that's a really special time for me. And it's cool, too, because I haven't been cooking because it's, all this stuff has just been so crazy and sure. completely, um, you know, just my life has dramatically changed to go from being 90 hours a week in a kitchen to like not cooking at all is mm -hmm. kind of jarring. So it's also really good for me to have that moment that, that night where I'm making a meal and we cook all kinds of things. And that's like, who you are. Yeah. Cuban food or we'll make Thai food. We made Thai food the other night. Um, so it's just, so it's, it's really it's great integrated. to have that. Yeah. Okay, you just great. You, I think it's just, again, finding, finding what, your everyday is, and then just how can I squeeze this in so I'm not going out of my way? And honestly, I just want to segue into, I feel like that that's my answer for women in general that are like, I might not have the luxury of being full-time employed, exactly. right? being an activist or right. working for a nonprofit. I only have so much time exactly. and a family or exactly. A so it's like, okay, cool. Like, let's dissect your day. What are you doing every, every day? What are the things you care about or are good at? Maybe a hobby you do. Like, maybe you, maybe you teach yoga, like, twice a week or something. Okay, cool. Like, have you ever thought about how maybe folks in this nonprofit space might need a guided meditation or might need, like, a specific yoga class or even women in your community that can't afford your yoga class? Have an open, an open night where it's pay, pay whatever you can. Or, or go to the community center for, you know, troubled, abused women or whatever, a homeless shelter. Like, there's so many opportunities. A jail, like mm -hmm. Rikers Island, go there and do a guided meditation. I mean, that's just, that's just one example. So it's not so much of like, oh, I'm overwhelmed. I'm like doing all these things. I'm like really feeling outside of my box with. It's like, no, you're already doing this. Like, how, how can, can you, you now integrate it, into integrate what you're it and doing. apply it towards making the world a better place? That's great. Um, and then advice for guys who might be in the same place, same thing? Well, for guys, be an ally. I think the biggest thing I've noticed is guys organize the other guys, mm -hmm. right? Because if a girl says a guy, tells a guy, that's what you just said is really offensive, it's sexist, it's homophobic, whatever, like, they might kind of scoff at that. Or they might say, hmm, whatever, I just won't say it in front of you, but I'm going to still say these things in the bathroom or whatever, in the locker room, in the gym. But when a guy is like, yo, that's not cool. Yeah, like, you're right. That's not cool to talk about women that way. Absolutely. Then all of a sudden it's like, it oh, wait. so much. Wait, weight. like that is different because I think a lot of guys too – you know, I think on a, both a giving and a receiving end, a lot of these slurs or, like, just offensive things, the quote-unquote locker room talk, like, a lot of that is because it garners a laugh or, oh, now all boys. of a sudden, yeah, now look at this guy oh, and all his conquests, like, wow. But if a guy is shutting that down and being like, no, that's not cool, like, I'm not, if I, now I think less of you, like, all of a sudden the guy might be like, oh, wait, like, actually, hmm. Well, and everyone listening also are, are exactly. taking that in, and it means a lot. It's part of that social-cultural change, you know, that's so important. Um, and that's where I really, I see guys 
playing a huge part in that. Also in the workplace, like if you're in the meeting and the woman's trying to speak up, like let her say something. Like, hey, she was trying to say something or let, let her finish her point or even just not taking up as much space. I mean, even it was funny because even um, the panels last night, I noticed, I think I called it out at one point too. I was like, there was like 20 people on panels tonight and like how many were women? Like mm-hmm. y'all were amazing, but we got to do better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was also like, it was interesting even just watching some of the guys. Like I could definitely see because the, the first panel was going a little long and I could see like which guys were like, oh, I'm going to, like, cut my answer down right. because she just spoke a lot and, like, she said amazing things and so I don't want to take up too much space. And then there were some guys where it's like... They didn't now I'm gonna Now I'm, now I'm going to top that. You just talk all this time. Like, now I'll talk longer. <laughs> like, it's just... Even I noticed that. That's just one example. Um, so I think this is... You know, it's going to take time, but being aware of these things is a big part of it. And and sticking up and using your voice, exactly. especially when that feels pretty scary. Yeah. It can, no matter what gender. I usually finish with, you know, if you had one piece of advice for you at a younger age when she really needed it, what would it be? Oh, God. Um, oh, there's a lot I would tell myself. Um and not just like, oh, we're sunscreen. Um, <laughs> Be yourself. <laughs> I would say, I would say, just, just keep going. Um, I'm a very passionate person, and I love hard, but I also, I sometimes when I feel depressed, like I also really uh, that affects me. Energy affects me, and even last year I struggled with a few times, like summer was honestly a blur to me because I was not in a good place. I was, it was really hard for me even just to get out of bed. Like I would literally just put my laptop in my bed and just try to work and try to get through the day. And it was not good um, to feel that way. I think that slow down would be one of them. You know, I've been hustling since I was 10 years old. So (laughs) to just say like, hey, slow down, take care of yourself, forgive yourself, love yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, it, you're going to mess up. It's okay. That's huge. It's going to be okay. Like, keep going. Build, you know, if something, the wall falls down, one brick at a time, it's okay. Like, I look back on certain instances, and I just thought, you know, my world was ending, whether it was, you know, a relationship or problems with my family or whatever it was and you know you look back on it and it's just like you got through that mm-hmm. it was okay when you were and sure a lot of it times, was all over a lot of times it leads to something else too you know when something ends sooner than you thought it would be or friends that you thought would be in your life forever your rider dies all of a sudden stop talking to you and you're devastated mm-hmm. but then it's like guess what sometimes People come in your life, they serve a purpose, and that purpose is fulfilled, it's okay, and then they leave. And sometimes you have to just be okay with that. And it's not just people, it's, it's jobs, it's, it's whatever, instances, it's passions, all, this, all those things. Like, life is always evolving. You have to be able to evolve with it. You have to be able to be open and oftentimes just kind of walk through the door. I think that that's another thing 
Or keep showing up keep when showing you don't up. even know. Exactly. Just and it's okay. It's okay. Like sometimes you literally have to just like, Cheryl would always say that Cheryl Sandberg, like get on the rocket ship. <laughs> um, and it's true. Like with Women's March, that's another great example. Like I remember in the thick of it, like in the first three days when everything was going viral, the New York Times is calling me, like everything's crazy. I'm like, what is going on? This thing is going to be huge. And I had a choice. I'm like, this is year one of my business. I make a third of my income from November to December between Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. I had a choice. Am I going to give that up to put this march on? Mm -hmm. It was really scary. Mm -hmm. And a lot, of, a lot of people were like, I love you. I always support you. But like, you sure about this? Right. Like, you sure risk. these women don't know you? They don't know your story. They don't know what you're fighting for. They don't know. Like, you literally have nothing. Like, no one's supporting you. It was super risky. Mm -hmm. But I just knew in my heart it was the right thing to do. And I'm like, you know what? Here's the thing. Like, Cookies, food, it's always going to be there. This time, what women are going through, and I'm actually in a position to create change. I'm actually in a position to lead on these issues. And that's not by accident. Like, there's a reason I'm here, and I don't understand this, and I'm scared. But at the same time, I had to keep going because I'm clearly meant to be doing this. I'm clearly meant to be here. That was beautiful. I think a lot of people can relate when you're so in the thick of it. Yeah, <laughs> and for sure. And you're like, what am I doing? What like, am I'm I doing? nuts. Like, I was literally, like, prepping Thanksgiving dinner, like, holding a conference call with 200 people I never talked to in my life. Like, my family's like, what's going on? <laughs> I had a trip to Tulum for New Year's plan, like, months before. And I'm, like, waking up at 5 a.m. and, like, shooting emails and doing Skypes and stuff. And my friends are like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I can't even explain, like... This is crazy. But there's also something so beautiful, right? About yeah. having a mission. Well, and it was and so beautiful after because I think a lot of people didn't really realize what I was doing because I literally didn't have time to explain what I was doing. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they're like, the march happened and they're like, oh my God. Right. You did There was that? all this momentum. How did you? Oh, that's but what you it, were doing It's got to be tough though, right? Without that momentum. Of course, really leading hard. up to the march, you've got all kinds of things building. But to keep that momentum... It's got to be tough. And it's something I struggled with last year, to sure, be honest. Sure, um, like and a that's giant why I'm, high, as high as you could get. Well, and that's why the whole like slow down, and at least for my situation, like, like I'm like kind of serious. I really haven't stopped since I was ten. Like I've always just hopped from one thing to another, and they've always been really intense projects. Like definitely on like a fast track, and um, you know to go from my own business to then Women's March, like. And all this just also, it wasn't just like physical creative energy. It was also like draining emotionally and just sad watching the news. And you're like, you're, you're carrying, so you're like putting invested. this burden of the world on your shoulders. Right. And it's just like, whoa, like, here's the thing. Like, this is horrible, but I have to, I have to just try to look at the immediates, what can I work on, what can, what can I what do you have control directly over? impact right now, what do I have control over, letting go of things I don't have control over, and just trying to stay positive, like, all right, well, here's, what are the good things right now, what, what are some positive things, some positive stories, even if it's something small, and a lot of people would email me, just little things like, I just want to let you know that I heard you speak, you know, five months ago, and I ended up organizing, like, whatever at my school or 
you know, whatever it that is. That brings up a really great point it's too. So, if you if you are so encouraged by someone that. to to yes. let them know because yes. because they you need don't it. know. And I think that a lot of people think like, oh, she's like just going around and talking and inspiring and this and that. Well, I struggle too. It must be so easy for I her and too. she's so confident. And it's nice to like have somebody yeah. come up to me and be like, hey. And I think that oftentimes when you're a leader, mm-hmm. like there's a reason there's that saying it's lonely at the top. Um, and I'm not at the top by any means, but as a leader, I think that oftentimes people don't think, oh, I need to, I'm going to encourage you. Like you're meant to encourage exactly. and inspire me. You've already got it all. Why, why would anything I say mean exactly, anything? Exactly, but... but also, like the, the the little bit of hate that that you might get as someone outspoken, yeah. When someone says something positive, because it's so easy, right? Like only often it's a small group of haters that that create are the trolls or whatnot. But but they leave a big impact. And so if you do have something positive to share, exactly, absolutely, that makes the world. Yeah, a lot of too. people want to take us down, take me down, take others down in the space. But it's just like you know what. You can't even worry about it. You have to just keep going. Awesome. Anything else you want to share? That's good. I think it's so great. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> good luck at your next gig. Yes. Big dinner. She's going out. She's representing. Going out. <laughs> oh my God. Later, New York. Yes. <laughs> well, friends, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. I absolutely love it when you leave reviews or share what you thought of the episodes on the socials. Sometimes the, <laughs> these reviews and responses have absolutely brought me to tears. So truly, I love it when you participate. Make sure to leave us an, a review on iTunes if you haven't and help us spread the word. We're a young podcast and we need to get this word out. Until then, see you in the mountains, friends.